0: Uh, Is that on now? Oh, good. But you've been gone nine weeks. That's, yeah. It's good to have you back, by the way. Back reading to us again. We're going to look at two verses this morning. It's building up to that great verse in chapter eight, which is Romans eight twenty-eight, and where we'll be there, Lord willing, next week. But you're going to see why. Hopefully, I'm going to mention a couple times why is it these two verses come before Romans eight twenty-eight? Well, of course, because that's the way Paul wrote it, right? But that there's a reason. He has a logical mind. Why he's done that, and hopefully, we'll see that uh, before we get to the end. This morning, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father, I pray your blessing upon the preached word this morning. Your Spirit, who indwells the hearts of those of us who are in Christ today, is uh, helping us. He's our helper. And we pray that his helping work for us today would be to wrap our hearts and our minds around this passage. We might apply it for our own good, Lord, as we look forward to the day that we see you face to face. Amen. Well, We've been looking at the, uh, the pathway, the pilgrimage of the Christian life, and we've seen that it's full of briars, it's full of potholes, it's full of cliffs and rocks to stumble over. In other words, a Christian life is really a life marked by suffering and marked by trials and even persecution. And I'm sure we've all had seasons in our life, if you've walked with Christ for any length of time. You know this to be true. And if you're a young Christian, this this will be true for you because this is uh, normative for all Christians in, in their Christian walk. Uh, there are seasons in our life that actually become so intense. The suffering is, is so intense that sometimes it seems like it's beyond words. Uh, have you been there? Do you have any kind of experiential knowledge of that truth? That the suffering in your life has been so intense, you sometimes lack words to describe how you feel. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You know, it's with good intentions that our Christian brothers and sisters come up to us when we're in that downcast mode, and, and they say, well, how you doing, brother? And you say, well, I'm doing okay, I, but I'm, I'm suffering right now. Oh, it's okay. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say Rejoice. Pat you on the back and send you on your way. Or they know Romans 8.28, so they don't know Romans 8.26 and 27. Well, hey, all things are going to work together for good. Those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. There's a reason why verses 26 and verse 27 come before Romans 8.28. There's times of trouble in the Christian life. There's times of doubt in the Christian life. There's trials in the Christian life. And during those times, if we're Christians, we know, okay, I need to pray. There's a lot of trouble in my life, so I need to pray. I need to get on my knees and pray. And then you do so, and you find yourself on spiritual empty. and You have nothing to say. Nothing's coming out of your mouth. You are so heavy, you're so downtrodden, that you don't even know what to pray for or how to pray. You, you pray to God and nothing comes off your lips. Uh, at best, you might m- muster up a holy groan, as we're going to see here, uh, or help, you know, something like that. But that's it. That, that's the extent of your prayer vocabulary. On top of everything else, you feel guilty because here I am, a Christian, and I'm facing these trials in my life, and I can't even pray. I don't even have words to pray. And so you heap guilt upon yourself for that. Well, there's two verses we're going to look at today, 26 27, that I think are amazing verses. Uh, they're full of hope. They're full of encouragement. They're full of strength for you in your Christian life. They're words for the weak. And if you say, well, that's not me. I've I've got it together. This No, you're weak. We're going to talk about that in a minute. They're words for you during times of suffering because we all will go through times of suffering. there are words when you need help, but you don't even know what kind of help you need. There's words that you need to pray, but you don't know what words to pray. Remember what we have already learned in Romans 8. You're not alone. I mean, there's one person that comes out of chapter 8 almost in every verse. And it's the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You're not alone. He's with you, He's in you. Even at times when you are struggling, He's the all powerful, He's the all gentle, He's the all loving third person of the Holy Trinity who's taken up residence inside of you. And uh, He's your helper. He's your helper in time of need. And that's, that's the theme really throughout chapter 8, the role of the Holy Spirit in, in, in sanctifying us uh, as we lead towards that, uh, the gates of heaven. Look at verse 2. You remember His work there. He frees you from the law of sin and death. Verse 4 he brought you to walk not according to the, the flesh anymore, but now you're walking according to the Spirit. He's a work. Verse nine: If you have the Spirit, you have assurance of your salvation. He's given you confidence in your relationship to Christ. He's your spiritual life. Verse ten: He raises you from the from the dead. Verse eleven: He put to death the deeds of the flesh. Verse thirteen: He's given you the Spirit of adoption, so you can cry out, "Abba, Father." His Spirit bears witness that you, with your spirit that you are a child of God, verse 16. He gives us the first fruits, a guarantee that truly we're going to receive the final harvest when we see Jesus face to face. Now today, He's still in us. He's still working in us. And, and He's working us during times of weakness and suffering. And so we open up verse 26 with one of those Pauline words, likewise. And not that how he opens a lot of the sentence? Likewise, therefore, for. And that's one of those linking words. It links us back to something he's already said more than likely in chapter 8. Likewise. And so what is the connection for verses 26 and 27? Where does it go back to in, in chapter 8? Likewise. Well, if you're l- reading on in verse 26 and 27, you might drill in and focus in on the word groaning. Ah, maybe that's the connection. You see, groaning's there. Groaning is uh, the groaning of, of the believers. We saw that earlier in, uh, in verse 23. We saw groaning of, of, of creation. You remember that? Creation's groaning in verse 22, waiting for its ultimate redemption. And so here we see, likewise, groanings again in our inability to pray. That's one possibility of taking us back, likewise. But I think there's a stronger argument that can be made, and that is what it does is it connects us back to verses 20, 24 and 25, where the theme of those two verses was this. The Holy Spirit helps us by giving us hope as, so we can patiently await for that day when we see Jesus face to face. So it's the work of the Spirit in giving us hope. He's helping us by giving us hope so we can patiently endure or wait until the end. And I believe that's the connection. He, the Holy Spirit helps us that way, but He also helps us another way until we see Jesus face to face. And that is this. He helps us in our weakness. When we need help to endure, He's there within us to help us endure. During the sufferings of this life. And so he goes on and he says, "Likewise, the spirit helps us. see? There's the connection in our weakness. Now this is an amazing truth. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is your helper who indwells you, who abides inside of you, and uh, He's there whenever you have a time of need. He's there in your weakness. And that's important because I I think we forget that sometimes. We we, we tend to think that, uh, you know, especially during times of weakness, I can do this. I can handle this one. I'm from Wyoming. I know what it means to cowboy my way through a problem. I can hop on my horse and do that. I don't need help from God. I don't need help from the church. I don't need help from anybody else. And what we see here is God knows you're weak. And even in his plan of salvation, this is what's so wonderful. His plan of salvation, yes, was to send his son and to die on a cross that you might be saved. But on the other hand, he also knew that after you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you had this journey, this pathway you're going to be going down. And so you make it to heaven. But when you get to heaven, but before that, it's trials, it's tribulations, it's suffering he says, I, I've, I've got it worked out. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he's going to be there to encourage you, to help you, to strengthen you during this period of time of, of suffering this, this side of eternity until we get to the not yet. So God knows we're weak. You know, I was just had to put this in here because I saw it as I was looking at the Isaac Watts hymn, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. Are you familiar with that hymn? It's, uh, there's two words in there that just jumped out. It just came to my memory, and one was help, and the other was hope. And this, that's, last week we saw hope, this week we're seeing help. And remember the the lyrics of the first, the first line goes, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our confidence, uh, So he's our help in ages past, but he's also our hope for the years to come. And there we see both workings of the Holy Spirit. See, God never intended for you to tough it out during the Christian life. Uh, He, yes, there's a pilgrimage, but he gave you a helper who dwells within you. And he speaks that he's there to help you in times of weakness. Do you you see that? Uh, What's the meaning of the word weakness here? Well, in the original it 's singular it 's not weakness says, but it 's weakness. and I believe there 's many weaknesses we have in our life, but at any particular point in time when we 're struggling with a, with a hard time there 's a weakness at that time that he 's there to help, that frailty of life, that uh, this side of eternity. And so in our weakness, we get sick in our weakness. Uh, we have the pains of illness in our body, and uh, we have injury. Galatians 4:13, Paul writes, "You know it is because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. It could include an emotional weakness. It could be some kind of a psychological weakness because of the way we're framed by God. It could lead to depression, discouragement, seeing things out of proportion. Confusion. It could be a spiritual weakness that we have that is lacking assurance or battling with sin and getting discouraged over the sin in our life and, and being defeated there. I mean, you know, if you were on a river raft, I mean, the Christian life is, is whitecaps. It's, it's, it, it really is a bumpy ride to the end. And at times there are tsunamis that blow in that bring suffering. And some of them are so hard to bear, you wonder, how can I bear through it? I mean, I've counseled with enough people and I've experienced enough in my own life. There are times. There are times. Not, they're not every day, but there are times when you feel like you've gone under for the third time and this is it. This passage is, is for us. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And the word help there is an interesting thing. He's there to help us in our weakness. How does He do that? Well, say simple. He helps us. It's an easy word. This is such a dramatic word in Greek. It really is. It's it's not like help us. It's like it's a 17-letter word. It's a triple compound word. There's three words that Paul's squeezing together with 17 letters to get his point across that the Holy Spirit is our helper when we're weak. Now, when you get all done studying it all out, you come to the conclusion, what does it mean? Well, it means help. <laughs> so, you know, we've synthesized it down in just a few verses but or a few letters. But let me give an illustration of what it means. It means that you come alongside of someone else and they're doing a, something they can't do because they're too weak. And you come along and you make it lighter for them so the job can get done with your help. So you young people here, you know, let me bring you into this sermon a little bit. Uh, you young people that are here, let's say right after church, I come up to you and say, listen guys, we need to move this grand piano from this side of the platform over to this side of the platform before we all leave today. And so, you know, you're, what, 15, 16, I don't know, 14 years old. and You say, okay. You go, I don't think so. Hey, Dad, how about some help? And so Dad comes over. Of course, I don't know if Dad and you could both pick this up. But anyway, let's assume you could. And then you're able to kind of maneuver this over to the other side. Your dad is your helper. He's come along to pick up. And do something you were too weak to do yourself and to move it across the platform to the other side. So that I said, so if I went up to you and said, did you move that piano? And you say, yes, I did, but I had help and my dad helped me move it over over to here. That's the imagery that we see with the Holy Spirit being our helper in, in times of weakness. That... Uh, He's in you. He's dwelling there, indwelling you there. He sees your suffering. He knows your pain. He knows the adversity you're going through. There's no surprise to him, and he helps you. He doesn't delegate the help and say, let somebody else take care of you. No. He doesn't leave it to yourself and say, you go do it and cowboy up. No. He, 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 uh, he himself comes alongside to help. And the one particular area that Paul's talking about here is he comes alongside of you to help you in your prayer life during your suffering. Look what he says. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. In our weakness, there's times where you just don't know what to pray for. You know how to pray you studied prayer and you understand the theology of prayer, but in, in, the, in this situation, under this suffering and these facts in my life, I do not know what God's will is and I don't know how to pray. In the midst of suffering, we are weak and unable to perceive what God's will is, and we just sometimes babble out. We, we groan our, our petitions out and ask for help. We're confused. And by the way, this is something that is, is not unusual. Again, I think we're in the realm of normative Christianity here. We're all here at some point in time where you just don't know what to pray in our weakness. Well, you see, I thought we all knew how to pray. I thought God told us how to pray. I thought Jesus answered that prayer for the disciples. Didn't they say, good master, what must we do? How, how do we pray? And he said, well, pray in this manner. And he gave us the Lord's Prayer, and he told us, This is what I want you to pray for. Here's the template. Praise God for his holiness. There's a kingdom coming. Pray for it. Pray for its advancement. Pray that God's will would be done here on earth. Pray that uh, God would forgive you of your sins. Pray that uh, he wouldn't lead you into temptation. And pray that the, the evil one, you'd be delivered from him on that day when he attacks. I mean, those, those are the things that God wants us to pray about. Not exclusively, but there's a very basic uh, template for us to follow. But here you are, overwhelmed and confused because you're going through a time of suffering. And in the midst of that, you're saying, okay, how do I pray? And you, you might go to the Lord's Prayer. Well, how does it fit in there? It doesn't. How do the facts of my situation fit into the Lord's prayer. I mean, there's other places where we're told to pray for kings and rulers and we're told to, to in everything, what? Give thanks to God and, and, and we're to have, pray for boldness and the advancement of, of the gospel and for wisdom. Salvation for the lost. Faith for those who are without faith. And wisdom. And it goes on and on. We have a lot of areas where we're told how to pray. But then how do we articulate prayers In the midst of suffering, we really don't know what God's will is that He's trying to do here. Kind of a fog of confusion comes in and you just don't know how to pray. You bow on your knees, your heart's troubled, nothing comes out but the word help. Now, I want to encourage you because I want to show you that Jesus went through this issue of, what do I pray for? He taught us how to pray. He is the Son of God, and yet there's times in his humanity that we see that he struggled with, what do I pray for? We see that Paul, a couple times in his ministry, even though he taught us a great theology of prayer, also confessed that he didn't know what to pray for. And so don't, don't feel too discouraged. Realize this is kind of normal to the Christian life. I know Jesus in Luke 22 in the garden, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw from the disciples, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What's he saying there? Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. Can you understand that, that in his heart of hearts, in his humanity, he's struggling with, uh, do I really have to do this? Is this your will? Or do I, uh, what is your will? And I'm willing to do your will, but I'm asking you, take this cup from me. And did the Father take the cup from him? No, he drank it joyfully and willfully, all of it. But you understand, there, 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 there's a, there's a, even in Christ, there's a sense of groaning here. And of course, we see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. He's probably one of the greatest Christians that ever walked on the face of the earth. Definitely better than myself and most of us, I'm sure, in this room. And yet, uh, he didn't know how to pray. He taught us how to pray, but there's times we didn't know what to pray for. Do you remember in Philippians 1 where he didn't know whether he wanted to go to heaven or stay here? And he's praying. Well, Father, I don't know what to do. I'm caught between the twixt of two things here, He says. And he says in Philippians 1.23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is what? To go to heaven, be with God, be with the Lord forever. But on the other hand, I, I know it's profitable that I stay here and minister. And here he is praying. He didn't pray one way or the other. He's, he's trying to understand what the will of God is, and he's crying out with a sense of, of, of groaning. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And then I was thinking in some way that thorn in the flesh that Paul was dealing with. Remember that? Uh, I mean, the, did he know the will of God in that area? I mean, we don't know exactly what the thorn of flesh was, but what we do know is, is this is that uh, uh, he agonized. It was some kind of weakness, some kind of suffering that he was going through. And so what did he do? I'm gonna to pray to have it removed. How many times? One time. How many what did God say? No. How about to try it again? Second time? No. Third time he prays again. No. Does he know what the will of God is in the midst of that? No. But God finally reveals it to him. But but here he is struggling in his prayer life. Because he doesn't know exactly what God's will is. He's groaning in pain. I mean, we've talked to Dave about, remember, Dave, your mom, 102, is that right? Yeah. Dave's mom is 102 years old. And where does she want to be? Where is she praying to be, Dave? In heaven. I mean, where is she, as far as we know, right now? She's right here. How do you pray? You're, you know, you're, there's groaning perhaps that's taking place where you're saying, oh, I, I want to go to heaven. I, I'm ready. I've been here 102 years. God, take me. You wake up the next day and you're still here. And are you gonna be here for another decade? Are you gonna be here another five years, five minutes? And so you don't know how to pray. She says, I'm ready to go. You know, let's look at sufferings that are that are common to some lives. You're a husband, and you come home from work, and you notice there's a letter on the countertop in the kitchen a long letter written by your wife she says I'm gone I've left the marriage is over and you go, to the, you go to the bedroom you open up the closet and all the clothes are gone she's taken her things. she's gone and here you are a Christian man you say what do I do I gotta pray what do you pray what's going on in your heart mean, you pray God bring her right home you pray, God, well, this is your suffering for me, and I need to go through this, and this is your sanctification. God, sanctify me. Do You pray that, well, God, maybe she's not a Christian. Maybe you've got to save her. I mean, you, all these things go through your mind. You're wondering, God, how do I pray? And I'll tell you, some of these things are so just heartfelt and so, so powerfully painful that you don't even have any words at all to pray. You're confused. See, we know this. Paul began prayers when he didn't know how to pray by telling God, I don't know how to pray. I think that's, that's okay. In fact, I, th- I think that would be a good place to start. If you're confused and you don't have words to pray and you're just doing nothing but, but grunting help to God... One, one good per- petition might be this, Father, I don't know how to pray, and I don't know what to pray, and I'm confessing that to you right now. Uh, that's what Paul did, I'm pressed between two, I don't know what to do. And by the way, that's not a lack of faith. I don't care what the, the faith movement says, that's not a lack of faith. That really is faith. That's asking God for help. And that's communion with God. When you can actually come to God and be open and transparent and drop all the Elizabethan English, you know, from your lips and just from your heart cry out to God and say, God, I, I, uh, I don't know what to ask you. That's humility. That's communion. That's oneness with God take comfort. Remember the Holy Spirit indwells you. He's taken up residence within you. And in the midst of your confusion at that moment, He's there to help you. And uh, you might ask, well, how does He do that? How does He help me at that time? Paul goes on, he says, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. So we have the Holy Spirit who's indwelling us and He intercedes. And, and to intercede literally means to, to plead the case for somebody else. And so you have God your, Himself living in you and He's pleading for you to the Heavenly Father. You know, He's, a, he's like an attorney. That's what an attorney does. He, he stands alongside of you and He speaks up for you if you need to have someone speak up for you in court. He pleads your case on your behalf when you don't have words and you don't know what to say. He tells you when to speak in the court and he tells you when to be quiet in the court. And then at times he steps in and he speaks for you. And he comes in and he he is your advocate. He brings your petitions before the judge. That's the picture that we see here of the Holy Spirit interceding for us. So Christians, be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is within you. He hears you. He knows your groanings. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your sufferings. I don't care what they are. And he feels your sense of confusion and your inability to even pray. And the good news is at that moment, he kicks in as the third person of the Trinity, and he jumps right in the middle, and he begins to intercede and pray for you. Now well, that's great news. And how does he do that? Well, the next thing that Paul writes here is with groanings too deep for words, and that raises a question. What are the groanings, and, and who's doing the groaning? Those are both interpretive questions. What is the groaning, and who is doing the groaning? Is a Christian groaning? Is that what he's saying? That we're groaning, and then he intercedes for us? Or, as he say, He intercedes for us, and then the way He intercedes for us is through His groaning to the Heavenly Father on our behalf. And this is one of those questions that there's just no real simple answer to, and, and there's not like one, one real clear answer. I, I was just going through, reading all the different views of this, and I was going, wow, I didn't realize there's so many views. You know, for the Phillips translation, for example, interprets this this way in the translation. It says, His Spirit... God's Spirit within us is actually praying for us in agonizing longings which never find words. So Phillips translates this to mean that it's the Holy Spirit who intercedes by groaning to the Heavenly Father uh, with uh, agonizing longings, unable to speak in words. The New English Bible says it this way, through our, our inarticulate groanings, that is believers, so you've just the opposite. Two, two translations, just the opposite meaning. Through our in, inarticulate groanings, believers' inarticulate groanings. One of my favorite commentators, uh, Hendrickson on this, says, and I don't necessarily agree with him on this, but Hendrickson says, I think it's metaphorical here. Remember verse 22, creation's groaning, metaphorical. Here we have the Holy Spirit groaning. The Holy Spirit can't groan. He's God. So he's being metaphorical as the way he cries out with words. I really think, and this, this is a close one, but the, the, maybe the better view is this. And this is by simply based on context. It's, it supports the, the view that the believer is doing the groaning. We groan because of the suffering that we're going through. Leon Morris puts it this way. He says, although we cannot be certain, he says, So, you know, I'm just kind of weighing in on this matter. That's all we're doing here. Perhaps there's a little more to be said for the view, he writes, that the groans are uttered by the believer. And the Holy Spirit intercedes with the groans of the believer. Now, if that's the case, and I I believe that that's the stronger case, that we're the ones that are growing, He's the one who's interceding. Think what this means. Our all powerful, transcendent God is imminent. That means He's here and He's in us and He loves us. Even to the point where He's within us and He takes our groanings, our sighs, our cries for help, and He jumps in and helps. And how does He help? By interceding to the Father on our behalf. He's our come alongside and speak up for us. He brings the petitions to the Father. I mean, wouldn't that bring comfort to know that during times of trial? It's literally as if he's saying, Listen, let let me help you. I'm within you, I'm God. I'm going to take your groanings and I'm going to translate them and I'm going to communicate them to the Heavenly Father by way of intercession and they're going to be understood by the Father in such a way that it's going to be perfectly asked according to what's best for you, according to God's Word. So you see the big picture here is when you cannot find words yourself to pray in which to express your prayer and you can do no more than just grunt, groan, cry out, help. The Spirit takes the sounds that you make, the groanings that come from your lips, and turns them into an effective intercession, a petition on your behalf. Now there's a loose end here that I think we need to tie up before we move on in this passage, and that is this. Um... This passage 26 and 27 is one of the key proof texts for a charismatic practice called praying in the spirit. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, we have to address that because this is one of the passages you're going to hear. That is the idea that we we are to pray in, in tongues. We're to pray in ecstatic utterances and we're to pray in such a way that God is actually praying through us, and just using our lips to speak to himself. Uh, we need to pray angel talk, they would say. Uh, we need to pray speaking in tongues, and this is a description of praying in tongues. You know, I, had, I worked for an attorney once who believed this, and I'd come to the office, and I, his door was always closed early in the morning, and he would be praying, and they, he came from a background that believed in this, and so I'd hear him in there, you know, speaking in tongues. And I say, hey, brother, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm just having a good prayer time with the Lord. And I said, what would you pray about? Well, I don't know. I'm praying in tongues. Well, how would you know when he was done? Well, it just stopped, you know. And, uh, and so it's one of those things, you don't know what you're praying for, but he's praying through you. And if somebody was listening, they wouldn't know where to say, amen. Those who hold to this view, connect this verse that we just read with 1 Corinthians 14 and they see these two linked together it says for if i pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful what am i to do i will pray with my spirit but i will pray with my mind also i will sing praise with my spirit but i will sing with my mind also well let me just say besides the whole practice of being not biblical let me just say this here here's just one argument to correct us in this matter. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, uh, Paul rhetorically asks the question, well, do all speak in tongues? And what's the answer? And then, well, he expects it. No, obviously, because that's the argument he's making. And if that be the case, if all don't speak in tongues, then the truth behind these two verses cannot be universal for all believers. The idea that the the Holy Spirit would intercede through you speaking in tongues, that means that only those who are charismatic, this promise would be good for. And all the believers who don't speak in tongues, this, this would not be applicable to you. So this is a prayer for every Christian. This is the hope we have for all believers. When we know not how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. And we know that when he prays, he prays perfectly. Because why? Verse 27 says, And God the Father who searches your heart. Now, here's some comforting words for a believer. And by the way, if you're here as a non-Christian, here's some frightening words for you. God searches your heart. That is, he, God the Father, searches the heart of man. He He knows your groanings. So you're groaning. And, he, you know, they're not words that can be easily understood. So uh, they're just groanings. But he knows them because he can search your heart. He knows your, your, your suffering. He knows your pain. He, he knows the adversities you're facing. In Psalm 139, it says, I, O Lord, have searched... Verse 1, O Lord, I, you have searched me and know me. Jeremiah 17.10, he says, The Lord searches the heart and test the mind. 1 Corinthians 4 5 says that, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring into light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. So God will come and judge based on what He knows is going on in your heart. He knows your desires. He knows your hopes. He knows knows your spiritual strengths. He knows your sins. He knows your weaknesses. And so here you are. Listen, this is so comforting to the believer. Man, you're just getting beat up by the world around you and maybe some of the people around you. And, And all you can do is just sigh. And all you can do is just groan. And all you can do is just cry out, help. And you have a Father in heaven who knows you and knows your heart And He knows exactly what you're going through even though you can't express it with your lips. And therefore we know that the Spirit comes along and perfectly asks the right petition and the Father gives the perfect right answer because He goes on to say the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So whatever the Spirit of it is asked on your behalf the Father will do. By the way, are you you familiar with the fact that the Holy Spirit is not the only one that intercedes for you? Did you know that? It's not just the Holy Spirit interceding, pleading for you before God. There's another. There's someone else. Who is he? Jesus Christ. Uh, Not only the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf, but the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of his high priestly ministry to intercede on your behalf. So you have the third person of the Trinity living in you, crying out, pleading to the Father. Then you have Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Heavenly Father in heaven. What's He doing? Interceding, Hebrews 7.25. He always lives to make intercession for them. So let's think about this. So you, you, have the, you have the Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world as a man. With 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 a heart overflowing with love for the, the sheep he's about to, to die for. He came to lay down his life for the sheep. He came to make full payment so that their sins could be forgiven. He came to suffer at the hands of his own creation. He came to joyfully bear the wrath of the Father that we deserved. He gave up the ghost on the cross where He died and His blood was shed. He was buried in a tomb for us. He rose again on the third day victoriously. He ascended into the, into the heavens where He is right now. Having saved a people, now He's their high priest and He's interceding and praying for us continually. We don't even know what, he, what He's saying. We don't know how He's praying. But we have God's Word to tell us that He is. So we have... Prayers of intercession from our heart, prayers from intercession from the right hand of the Father through the Son. And I believe the Father knew how bumpy the pathway was for all of us by way of suffering. And so he's, I'm going to give you a double, a double uh, intercession. Let's see if we can draw this to a conclusion this morning. How do you know? Well, let's say right now. I don't know where, what all your circumstances are in your life, but let's say today you've come here, and you can you're thinking hey, he's 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 talking to me. This is what I'm going through right now. I know this. I know suffering firsthand. I know right now what it means to try and pray, and I have no words coming to my 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 mind and coming off my lips. And so you're telling me from this passage. The, the Holy Spirit's in me. I don't feel that He's in me. I don't see Him in me. But you're telling me that, and you're saying that He's kicked in, and He's praying to God on my behalf. Well, how do I know that? How can I be sure of that? Can I feel it? No, I don't feel it. How do I know? Can I hear it? No, you can't hear it. And ultimately, it's because the Word of God declares it. And it's true. And this is what it means to walk by faith. And then what, hopefully, what would happen is when you're going through times of suffering and you don't know what to pray for, uh, times of trouble, the Holy Spirit's there to minister to you. And you have to say, Okay, I remember 8. I remember eight twenty-six 26, and 27. The Spirit of God is interceding for me right now. I believe that. And he's praying what the Father wants to hear his will to be. And, and he's going to do it. And even though I don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit's going to hear your groanings. As if he responds, I'm here. I'm listening. I know. I'm praying. And he takes your groanings. And this is the part I don't fully understand. There's a lot I don't understand. But there, this is one of the things I just trying to formulate and understand. Somehow our groanings are coming out of us. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And what I, I see is a picture of almost like our groanings are coming out of us, but he's somehow reinterpreting those as they go out from us into the ear of the Father, who then understands them to mean what the real will of God really is. And so He's he's taking our Our groans and turning them into intercessory prayers. Now, I don't understand that. I mean, try and wrap your mind around that. But uh, that's, that's where we are. It is a mystery. Here's my question. Do you believe it? It's God's promise to you. It's God's comfort to you in time of need. By the way, I think this also means this. Every prayer that you ever prayed in your life, that you've asked amiss, kind of like the Apostle Paul did, you know, take the thorn away, God said no. Every time you prayed in your Christian life and, God, you were asking the wrong thing because God never answered that prayer that way, isn't it comforting to know that during those times the Holy Spirit was interceding on your behalf and what He was asking for is exactly what his, was done in your life. It was answered prayer. The prayers came from your advocate your helper, the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think of Paul, you know. He prayed first time, Lord, take this thorn from me. God says, no. I'll try it again. Uh, God, take this prayer from me. God said, no. Well, let's try three. God, please take this, this thorn in my flesh from me. And God said, no. Now, every time, God said no to him, so to speak, because he saw the thorn wasn't removed. I believe the Holy Spirit was praying all three times, God, leave that thorn in him. And it was. God, leave that thorn in him three times. And it was. And so the Holy Spirit's praying perfectly into the will of God because he not only knows us, but he knows the mind of himself, the Holy Spirit. And he knows, and he was praying, Father, don't remove that thorn from Paul. I don't want Paul to be conceited. That wouldn't be good for him, Father. You know that. I know that uh, your strength's gonna be, be made perfect in Paul's weakness. I don't want Paul going around boasting about you know the thorn of the flesh being removed. Humble, humble him. Don't remove the thorn of the flesh. That's the Spirit praying. And lastly, let me just remind us that this work of the Spirit of interceding on our behalf is not something that is promised to all. It's promised to believers. If you're here without Christ, this is not some work of the Spirit that He does in your life. He only does this in those whom He indwells, those who are His. You know, the... Believer, you can rise up out of your depression, out of your discouragement, your fog of uncertainty and feel the uh, inability to pray. You know that you believe that God is interceding for you. But the unbeliever, here's some words that come from this passage to you. Did you know that the Father is searching your heart as He searches the heart of all men? Now, that's a frightful place to be outside of Christ. It's a very comforting place to be if you're in Christ. To know that there's a God above who searches your heart and you don't trust in Him, you don't believe in Him, you're disobeying Him and rebelling against Him in your life, and He knows your motives, He knows your thoughts, He knows every one of your sins. He knows the mask that you put on your face and the hypocrisy of your, of your life. He knows it all. And then one day you're going to have to stand before him as your judge. And when he judges your soul, it's going to be perfectly based on what he knows to be true because he searched your heart. And here's the good news. There's a spirit. And the spirit that indwells the Christian is the same spirit that enlivens those who are spiritually dead. Those who don't have faith, He, he enlivens them. He, he brings a new birth to their heart. He regenerates them. He brings faith where there is no faith. And He brings forgiveness. And He brings righteousness that comes from Christ. And then He adopts you into His family. And you become a son or daughter of God. And He indwells you. And helps you all the way until you see Christ face to face. That's why I would just heed the call of Christ if you're here without Him this morning. Simply come to Christ. Now, no one can come unless the Spirit, first of all, enables him to come and gives him understanding. But could it be right today, this moment, the Holy Spirit in this room, circulating through this room to each heart, is powerfully working in your heart as an unbeliever. And you know something's happening that's different than than ever before because now you're beginning to get it. And it's not because I'm any more clear today than I was last Sunday. It's only because the clarity is coming from the work of the Holy Spirit in your mind because He's giving you life where there was no life. And where you walked away out those doors before and any other doors of any other church in unbelief, time and time and time again, this well could be the, the, the Lord's day where, oh, I need to come instead of go. I need to believe instead of reject. Oh God, I need to repent and forsake my wicked ways rather than embrace them. And if he's doing that work in your heart this morning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As Christians, God has given you everything, including himself, that you might be given everything from heaven to receive your treasure one day. And right now, the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf. Do you see why verses 26 and 27 come before next week's verse 28? He's doing a work. He's praying for you so that you can live the Christian life so that the promise that comes in verse 28 can be true. If you reverse those, it changes everything. Oh, let's pray that uh, God would bring comfort and hope to each of us as our helper. Father, thank you for your word. I pray today, Lord, that you would just uh, cause us to remember these truths. On that day when they're, when they're needed. On that day when we find ourselves on our knees, not just babbling and not knowing what to say. Oh, God, when we're, we're, we're just uh, saying help. Oh, Lord, give us the comfort to remind us that the Holy Spirit is interceding perfectly for us before the throne of grace for our good and your glory. Amen.